Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. Two games, two great performances, two wins. What a way for Manchester City to get back into the saddle after the World Cup break and after having to wait about a month to put right what happened against Brentford. After impressive displays against Liverpool and Leeds, that's now a distant memory. Welcome to the final Blue Moon podcast of 2022, where we'll look at all the talking points from the festive season so far. Erling Haaland is still ridiculous. He's already beaten the Golden Boot tally from five other Premier League seasons and he's only played 14 games in the competition. Meanwhile, questions are still being being asked about Jack Grealish, two assists at Ellen Road, but there probably should have been a goal or two in there as well with the chances that went begging. We'll get into all of that, plus with it being our last show of the year, we're going to take a look back at the weird and wonderful 12 months that was 2022, and we'll cast an eye forward to the match with Everton on New Year's Eve as well. I'm David Mooney and I'm joined this week by City fan Richard Burns. Hello David. And from Sporting News, Dom Farrell. Hello, David. Season's greetings and all that. Season's greetings indeed to the pair of you. Uh, Dom, I am delighted that your job title is now easy to say, so welcome back. Yeah, there is actually a longer, stupider job title, but I've decided that we, we just don't need that. Yeah, we're not doing that. It's a season of goodwill and all that. You're not you're not, uh, not getting me dragged into that. Um, <laughs> right, so let's start with, uh, well, we've got two games to, uh, to review, Liverpool and Leeds. Um, Richard, through to the League Cup last eight, closed the gap to five points in the league. Good, good week, really. Yeah, I mean, the for all that uh, we didn't necessarily know how things would be after the World Cup and um, some of the, yeah, just the, the big unknowns around that and the unprecedented nature of returning from a World Cup uh, so soon after it's finished and, and mid-season and in the unusual position of having lost our last game, you know, it's not a, a overly regular occurrence for City. Um, and... The first game back being against a um, you know a really big rival, and despite some of the struggles this season, Liverpool remain a very good and very dangerous team. Um, it's a near perfect return. I mean, having obviously the two wins is um, is perfect in in that regard. The performances have been very very good. So yeah, it's a um, a really pleasing uh, return and, and blowing off some of the cobwebs pretty early. I think. But only near perfect, because as, as Guardiola would always say, you can always improve. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the I think the goals that we conceded against Liverpool, uh, maybe we'll touch on this. I thought both were soft. Um, it's okay to concede against Liverpool because they could, you know, they score against most teams. I think you've got to make them work harder, uh, maybe than City did, um, and we could have had a uh, maybe been a bit more clinical uh, in the Leeds game, but. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All in all, pretty good. Uh, Dom, I'm I'm 
kind of I've been impressed this week with how well City have handled the pressure because the squad has not been um complete there's been players missing because of world cup duties because of injury that sort of thing um and then they've had a really really tough game against Liverpool where they were much the better team for for large spells of it um and then you know a quite a hostile environment at Ellen Road which they just dealt with yeah i mean i wonder if as the season goes along we might look back from a city point of view and think those having those two games as a games back, you know, they, they were never games that you could amble into. So I reckon it's probably as much as Guardiola said the thing of Leeds were the worst possible team they could have faced, which is demonstrably untrue. It's like what you have to say. <laughs> Bournemouth were brilliant after the latest 4 0 victory over them. I think obviously Leeds do present certain challenges with the intensity they play at, but if that League Cup tie had been, say, I don't know, against one of the championship teams who were left in, it could have been really flat and ambling. City and Liverpool just don't have dull games, so they had to get right on it there. Um, and yeah, Leeds, Leeds present a certain challenge with the way they play with the Jesse Marsh. So yeah, they, they had no choice but to get up to speed. And I mean, the results speak for themselves. They, they, they really did, they did it incredibly well. It's um, I think a bit of a concern with this middle of the season World Cup is that November to February spell between the Champions League is when Guardiola City have really put win after win after win together. Um, obviously, they've been robbed of about six weeks of that part of the calendar. But I think that the best thing you can say about last night's performance is that looked like a mid-season City performance of any of the best Guardiola seasons. It was, it was really on point. Yeah. Richard, were you expecting the intensity that you got in these two games? Because that, I mean, I, I can't decide if that bodes well for the coming months, given that city. it's like they've never been away, or if it just means they're going to be knackered at the end of February. I think, um, at the risk of just rehashing Dom's point, I think with the Liverpool game, I probably did expect some of that intensity because it's just not a game that, regardless of competition, it's just not a game where you can be anything less than intense and give anything less than your best because the the support won't allow it. Losing to Liverpool is um, a result that you want to avoid at all costs at any stage of the season in um, in almost any competition. Um, I'd sort of exclude the charity shield from that a little bit because it's, it's not friendly. a competition, famously. Yeah, yeah. but um, but with that exception, you, just, you always want to beat them. It's never nice to lose to them. It's never nice to put up with the, um, the fans enjoying beating City and we... We owed them one. I think it's been a little while since we um, since we were that good against them, and the scoreline should have been um, much more flattering for City if they'd been more clinical. So I suppose I, yeah, I think I did expect that intensity because I also think that for as much as the travel and the potential tiredness and just the weirdness of having a World Cup mid-season um, compared to what you know what, what we're used to the players have they've been playing and they've been in rhythm and they're not they're not worn out from a full season of football are they um and so i think in some ways other than you know the psychological factor of players who didn't get as far as they wanted to or are disappointing world cups the players have disappointing games all the time and and just get on with it it's part of being a professional and part of why these players are at this level so i i've not been that surprised by 
the intensity or the fact that City are back into um, something very close to the um, the normal rhythm, to be honest. Yeah, uh, Dom, I just want to uh, I want to read some of Haaland's statistics because uh, they're just getting more and more ridiculous as the season goes on. So uh, he's played 14 games uh, in, in the Premier League. Uh, he scored 20 goals. That is enough to win the Golden Boot in 1998, 1999, 2007, 2009 and 2011. Um, he's already beaten the best scoring Premier League seasons of Dwight York and Dimitar Berbatov, who got 20 goals in 32 games rather than the, the mere 14 he's done it in. Uh, Michael Owen, who got 19 in 29. Nicholas Anelka, 19 in 37. Uh, Jermaine Defoe, 18 in 34. Steven Gerrard, 16 in 31. And Robbie Keane, 16 in 36. They're all solid sort of Premier League regular scorers. Anyway, he's had a better season than any of them any of them ever managed. Um, Erling Haaland now has scored uh, more Premier League goals than Alfie Haaland, and he's done it in 167 fewer games. Um, Haaland's now scored as many Premier League goals as Derby did in the 2007-8 season, mm-hmm. uh, again in 24. Uh, games fewer uh, and he's got more Premier League goals this season than nine of the other 19 teams um, like uh, the man is ridiculous yeah I mean, I mean all, all of that is frightening and the thing that I'd, I'd sort of throw in there as well is this run of scoring these 20 goals in in no time in 14 games no time at all that's taken in a little bit of learning how the team plays. You know, we we all remember back the you know the the Erling Haaland touch counters from August, who seems to have disappeared now, and found new hobbies. Thankfully, um, so there was a there was a teething period where he was, he was learning how to play, but he was scoring during that. And as Guardiola alluded to last night, there's been a period pretty much since Borussia Dortmund where he's not been fully fit, and he was scoring goals during that as well. So it's, I think, if any player scored 20 goals in 14 games, you would say that is like a once-in-a-lifetime career-defining purple patch. It doesn't feel like he's he's playing sort of beyond himself, if that makes sense at the moment. It's like, this almost feels like part of the course. Which of course it isn't, as you just said. It's like, historically, no one's ever scored at this rate in the Premier League. But it doesn't feel like he's, you know, let's say on... Against Leeds, he's left a couple of goals out there. In both the Liverpool and the Leeds games, he's missed one-on-ones in the first minute. I mean, he's getting <laughs> one-on-ones in the first minute, which you would think, if you defend an early Haaland, and you're thinking, probably don't do that. Yeah, keep it tight. But his movement <laughs> is so good. And yeah, it, he's probably, yeah, it's it doesn't feel like it's unsustainable. I mean, you know, there's the 40 goals in the Premier League season that's never been done, but... I remember at the start of the season, people when, when he had his first when he had those back-to-back hat tricks, and people mentioned Dixie Dean sixty goals in a season. Well, if City go deep into all four competitions, can probably get close to that, can't he? Yeah, it's which is a an absurd thing to be saying, but there we are. Yeah, um, three goals since the return, Richard. Uh, great movement against Liverpool. Um, great movement against Leeds. It's not like it. He just seems to know where the ball is going to be. That's the thing. I mean, for all those statistics that are so exceptional and so extraordinary, to watch him, it all looks very ordinary at times. Like it's, um, I mean, Dom's absolutely right to say the sort of the touch counters have have gone away and and found a new hobby. But there is, I do think like there's an interesting point in his economy of, of, how he plays the game and so few got sorry so many goals to um to so few touches and at times he can feel you can go through long periods of a game 
without feeling like he's heavily involved, I think. And yet, when the ball falls to him, he's always in the right place. And it looks so, so easy, which is, of course, I mean, that's the the mark of his greatness, isn't it? That it, it, it just looks so incredibly easy to him. And of course it's not. It's um, a, a, such a gift and hard work that gets him to this level. He's he's um, almost like the, you know, the he's like the actual footballer version of, you know, those people who say, yeah, but stick me up front for City and I'll score a few goals. It's like, yeah. uh, it's like, it's like he, he's almost the embodiment of that. He makes it look that easy that you look at him and go, yeah, I could just put that in when clearly well, that, I couldn't. Yeah. And that's where the, um, you know, for people who want to, say stupid stuff you know whether um the conversation already goes sometimes of like well of course he's going to score that many goals he's in city's teams like well a lot of players have been in this team and haven't scored that many goals like great strikers have been in great teams before and don't break records with sort of every passing game it's, it's ridiculous i think um i think this is still the case that he's on track with his goals to games ratio, that if he sees out his five-year contract and carries on at this record, he'll have beaten Shearer's record in that five years. I think um, it's just, it's insane. It's, it's absolutely nuts. He's brilliant to watch. And the thing is, it again, right to say that it doesn't feel like he's playing beyond himself. I actually think the, there isn't, and there should be more to come. I can well imagine that there's more that Guardiola wants from him in terms of his overall involvement in the game, which is just to be clear, not a criticism. Um, but there's probably some modifying there still to be done of um, of his overall play um, and maybe where he spends all of his time on the pitch. Um, but it's just just what a player, what a player to enjoy watching, what a, what a weapon to have. It's effectively going into every game a goal up. It's, it's mad. Yeah, 38 games a season. Richard, how many do you reckon you'd get into his front line? Um, I mean, I don't reckon I'd be selected beyond the first. <laughs> um, that wasn't the question. You are selected I, for 38 games in place of Haaland. Uh, zero. <laughs> I, I want to score a Premier League goal. It's the correct answer. Yeah, good, uh, good, good backing of yourself there. Dom, are you not more confident in yourself? Oh, absolutely not, no. I'd get none. Um, I'd, I, I, there's, I've heard some variations on this prediction. Um, guy I work with has told the story of an old colleague of his who reckoned he'd get 12, <laughs> which is like... It's ambitious, that. People have lost their mind, haven't they? No, well, Wilfred, Wilfred Bonny couldn't get 12. <laughs> And he was an actual How many footballer. in this team, though? Lots of good three points to be had, wasn't there? Yeah. With <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's one of my uh, Serena Williams. Uh, I could I could take a point off Serena Williams' uh, opinions is that I could save a penalty from a City player, but then again, it's a bone of contention, that one, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, save a few nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is the other side to, to Haaland's game, Dom, and I'm sorry to be uh, to come to you uh, with my Mr. Doom and Gloom hat on, uh, but he did miss, I mean, he missed three one-on-ones against Leeds, uh, and he seemed very, very aware of them afterwards. Yeah, um, and it was also, so the one-on-one at the start of the game against Leeds, and then, all similarly to the one against Liverpool, it almost felt like there was a glitch in the Matrix. I think we've got, you get to the point where Certainly, going back to the first day of the season when De Bruyne played him through, you just think goal before he's touched it. And there's been a few of those where it's like you've kind of decided it's a goal. You know, the crowd are already up and you're ready to celebrate. Um, it just felt bizarre not to see those ones go in, um, which again speaks of the very high standards he set. I mean, yeah, he's he's come back. So from what Guardiola said, he's not fully fit. He's not fully sharp. And he's got three and two. He also scored in the Girona friendly, where apparently he really wasn't 
you know, too fit at all from what from what Pep said. Um, so yeah, that, that's it. The, the, there is room for improvement. I mean, he's the, the thing is also the misses. While he'll be frustrated at the time because he is just relentlessly hungry for goals, it doesn't seem to knock the confidence afterwards. I mean, you know, there was, you know, there've been other City players we've seen in the very recent past. I mean, you probably always go to Raheem Sterling as an example fans would go to, but Jesus as well, you know, two very fine players. But if they missed an early one-on-one, you think they're just going to get in their own way here and it's going to be one of those performances where they're getting more and more beside themselves with the chances they're missing. Whereas when Haaland misses those early one-on-ones in both Liverpool and Leeds games, you don't even consider it's going to impact the rest of his performance. Yeah. Because yeah. He, yeah, he's, he's a big robot freak, isn't he? So, yeah, yeah. on he goes. Um, Richard, there was somebody else who missed a few chances. Um, let's talk about Jack Grealish. Uh, let's start with uh, Guardiola's thoughts on his performance. This is what uh, Pep had to say. It was good in the first half. He missed chances. He has to improve in that. In terms of just mentality, to be aggressive there and be, I'm going to score, I'm going to score. But that's a big show, you know, the quality to be generous. It's incredible love in every, for everyone because it's, it's what it is. It's so humble. Uh, and and do the, the perfect assist for Erling. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so um, he did get two assists, which uh, kind of saved his performance because in a weird way, I thought he was playing well, but for the fact that he, he kept missing the target from, you know, absolute sitters. Um, what, what were your thoughts? I mean, I agree. I thought he had um, a, a pretty good game. I thought he, he contributed well. I thought he he shows for the ball a lot. I think he's he's really good on the ball. I think increasingly, um, my feeling watching him is that he's pretty good at sort of advancing City's position on the pitch whenever he has the ball. I think he's um, like I think he's increasingly quite tactically astute. And I think that um, it's, you know, I'm sure that's something that's always been there. But just in terms of more and more in tune with the way City play, I think there's less of that sort of um, aiming for the byline and, and cutting back. I think he's taking a lot more responsibility in games now. Um, is that is that not just making excuses for someone who keeps blazing it over from close range? Though, well, I mean, that's all the good stuff. The the bad stuff is that his finishing was absolutely atrocious. Like it's and and that's a really heavy caveat in a team that. Um, that he's aiming to win every trophy they play in, um, expects to sort of win every game that they play every time they go onto the pitch. It's it's really hard to carry an attacking player who does everything right apart from score when they have the chances because if you take him out and put Foden in, in his place, and okay, different players, it's a different game. Foden scores all of those chances on, in, on most days. Um, almost almost any attacking player in City's team would be burying them um, and it would be the exception if they didn't like we've just spoken about with Haaland and that it's a really hard thing to caveat I think a, a good performance with three really really bad misses and he's fortunate in that sense that he got the assists because it it takes, I guess takes some of the um, not the shine is the, completely the wrong word but it, I guess it 
What's the opposite of shine? Yeah. Uh, yeah, what is the opposite of shine? <laughs> dullness. It, it yeah, takes some of the dullness off his performance. But it does. It, I guess it, it papers over the cracks and obviously they come uh, later in the game and, and help seal the win and it moves all the or a lot of the talk onto Harland's records because he's assisted him twice. Um it's a shame, and he's got to um, he's got to be finishing better than that. And it's a really hard thing. Like Pep talks about, he's got to be more positive and and not be negative. This, if that's the issue, there's a clearly some work needs doing there with sports psychologist or whatever it's going to take to unlock that. But he's never been a big goal scorer, has he? Um, and I guess you know to make a very circular point, it really proves what we were saying earlier about Haaland, like it's not just a case of put a good player in a good team in front of goal and they'll score because uh, sometimes they might not as, as Grealish did everything he could to prove in the first half yesterday. Yeah, that said, Dom, um, how important was his decision when one-on-one with Meslier to square it for Haaland to, to tap into the empty goal? Well, I think when he, and again, one of his really good bits of play, how he anticipates that poor Liam Cooper pass and he bursts through you do kind of think, oh, well, how is he going to miss this one then? So I think his decision not to shoot, given how he was shooting, um, was massive, really. I think he needed to sort of take himself out of that spot. And, and yeah, maybe maybe it would have spoken well. Of, I know Guardiola sort of credited his unselfishness and City have also scored a lot of goals like that. You think breakaway and top square and it's for a guy to tap in. I think it's a way they like to operate. Um, but you do wonder if it might have been better for him to try and stick it away himself and sort of get that monkey off his back. But you look at the way he celebrated when Haaland scored. It was a real sort of, for a fellow who does seem to be having a whale of a time most of the time on a football pitch, it was a real, real sort of guttural sort of anguish roar. So it, it, it meant a lot to him they scored from that move after what had happened because, I mean, yet they were, they were such bad misses. And what was jarring about them is Grealish is a guy who was obviously a technically wonderful football player. Um, looks so at ease with the ball at his feet all the time. All of those shots on goal were just like his body positions all over the place. I mean, and th- that, so the, the second one, like the, the was, was that a corner or a free kick that was, was the free back kick? The yeah. Box? Clearly a planned move. And he looked surprised to the point of being startled when he had to shoot from it. And yeah, it, it wasn't like you think. I don't think it's even one of those situations where you can think, oh, well, at least he's getting there to miss the chances. Like, well, they weren't, they were three really good chances and none of them were even nearly in the net. Um, and yeah, Rich is right to say he's never been a big, big goal scorer. And I do think in some of the Jack Grealish discourse, which like everything now is just massively polarised, people have decided where he is. Um but he, the Jack Grealish at Aston Villa, I think, is now at the point where he's becoming a ludicrously mythologised figure. I mean, he was really good at Villa in not a great Villa team. His most prolific season at Villa was eight goals. The season before he got the £100 million move to City, he scored six Premier League goals. So they weren't signing him to score hatfuls of goals. I think we can all, I think it's a fairly easy point to agree on that City this season generally look like a better team with Grealish in. I think he hasn't played any of the games where City have dropped points. But, so you're not signing to score a hat full of goals, but you are signing to score maybe more than one. And those two assists last night were his first two assists of the season. So it's a strange one. I think he's clearly playing well. The team is clearly better with him in it, but 
His numbers the don't level, really bear the that output out. Yeah. In terms of goals assists has got to be a bit more. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's finish the first part of the of the show with a, a nice word on Rico Lewis, um, because uh, Domi fully justified Guardiola's selection. Uh, there were, I thought, there were two very brave performances in in different ways against Liverpool and Leeds from him. He was absolutely magnificent. I think it's really easy to get carried away when everyone likes to see a young player come into a side who's come through an academy and he's playing for his boyhood club. It's a nice story. Everyone will. Your football's littered with young lads who've come in and play well for half a dozen games. But there seems to be something different and special about this guy. I mean, the the moving in from fullback to play as an, play inverted, which, you know, Kyle Walker, for his many, many virtues, is one of the best fullbacks in the world. We've seen him grapple with that this year. Rico Lewis against two teams who like to put pressure on the opposition on the ball. He just looks a natural there. And I think... The, the things that he's done that are eye-catching, I mean, there was that passes of places for half-time where it looked like Leeds had mugged him on the halfway line like they like to do. And he gets back, slides in, gets the ball and starts another City attack. That was brilliant. So he does the eye-catching stuff. But I think it's notable how Rodri has had two phenomenal games uh, against Liverpool and Leeds. Having Lewis as the tucked-in guy alongside him is making things easier for him. And then you get that knock on higher up the field. like you're, That means that Gundian gets into... Pockets where he causes causes more trouble. Um, you know, look at last night when Lewis goes off and Cancelo's on on that side, and suddenly Leeds get a few chances. I think the stuff he's done when he's on the ball and he's centre stage looks great, but I think you can make an argument that he's he's lifted like several of the performances around him, which is you know he's a great credit to an eighteen year old, and if he can change from being a Carabao Cup run-out guy to you know, the de facto backup right-back, then all of a sudden the squad looks a lot fuller. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I've been massively, massively impressed by him. I was going to ask about this, Richard, for the rest of the season, because we talked about how thin City's squad is, especially in the fullback areas. Um, the fact that Guardiola trusts him to start a Premier League game, normally Guardiola will do everything he can to to, to go with the, the names that he trusts. And he could quite easily have played John Stones at, at fullback against Leeds, and he chose not to. So does Lewis solve a problem for City for the remaining part of the season in that that he is a credible fullback option now? Yeah, massively. I think his his performances are um, like they're not good for a young player, they're not good for a player making his Premier League debut or good for a player playing against Liverpool. Like, they're, they're just great performances without any caveat in them, without any qualifier that you need to make. All the rest is context and only makes it um, more impressive how he's performing to consider his lack of experience, the quality of the opposition, the hostile environment at Leeds, the quality of the team that he's playing in um, and, the, and the players around him that he can still stand out amongst that. All of those things are just extra context to what is actually just really, really high quality, assured performances that City are a better team for having. Um, I, it's just, he's been... He's been absolutely magnificent. I think it's really telling to hear the way Pep talks about him 
Um, when you think how often with Foden, yes, he made the comments about him being um, the best young player that he'd ever seen in his life and all that stuff. But he was also really, um, really obviously keeping his feet on the ground at times and um, and holding him back when there were good arguments that he, he could have played sooner and clearly we see the benefit of that now. Enrico Lewis is just very, very happy talking up, um, talking about how City have got a decade of um, of having a brilliant right back with him in the team, how um, how quickly he picks up instruction and only needs to be told things once, which seems to be um, what anybody who's sort of publicly commenting on him who knows him uh, seems to say about him, which is obviously great. Um, so I think he does solve a problem. I, I wouldn't have any concern with him playing certainly any Premier League game. Um, and yeah, I mean... That's it. I wouldn't. He's not going to be the first choice yet. That's not reasonable to expect because he is he is behind one of the best right backs in the world. Um, but I I won't worry any time that he's called into action because he's proven that we don't need to. Um, so it's a massive problem solved. Yeah, look forward to uh, to seeing him for the rest of the season. Um, now we've hit the time of the year when everybody runs through the highlights of the last 12 months. In a few minutes, we're going to hear Kieran Murray and KC talking us through their alternative moments of the year. But first, I take a more serious look at the last 12 months. Twenty twenty two began for City with a last minute win at Arsenal on New Year's Day. This is City fan Richard Burns speaking on the podcast after Rodri's ninety third minute strike that day. Every time Arsenal went forward, I was worried. I was convinced they were going to score from the set pieces they were getting. I was convinced every time they got the ball in the middle that it was going to go out wide and they were going to get behind us. And you have to go through that. It's you can't be the best team all the time, every minute of every game. It's it's okay. It was a it was a really, really good test and one that I'm very glad City got through because for a long time it didn't look like they would. Then after a 1-0 win over Chelsea, City dropped their first points of 2022 in a 1-0 draw at Southampton. Here's City fan Adam Keyworth. It was a decent point, but it would have been a really, really good three points. So it's still it's still in our hands. You'd rather be in our position than Liverpool's. I would still back us to win more games than any other team. Soon it was February and City went on a winning streak. Form was seen off in the FA Cup, while wins over Brentford, Norwich and Sporting left City top of the Premier League and practically through to the Champions League quarter-finals. But then came a 3-2 loss at home to Spurs. City fan Dan Burke found that one hard to take. When you score the penalty in, in stoppage time and there's still a few minutes of stoppage time left, you think, come on, let's go and win it. If the game had ended in a draw, I would have said that, that was probably fair enough and... Uh, and would have taken that to then lose the game was was really upsetting, wasn't it? From that yeah. point, and, you really shouldn't. Lo- you get back into it there. You really shouldn't lose, should you? Yeah. That's yeah. The thing. That result left Liverpool six points behind with a game in hand. City fan Kieran Murray was feeling the pressure. What I don't want to go through again is uh, eighteen nineteen because it was it was horrible. It was vile. <laughs> it was a really really <laughs> difficult time to be a City fan. Yeah, I mean, but don't the, get the, me... the, it was. The doing of it was not nice, but the having mm. done it was very nice. That's what I was just going to say, don't get me wrong. Three games later, and it was exactly like the title race in 2019. City had drawn at Crystal Palace, meaning the gap was down to one point. This is what Adam Carter from StatCity.co.uk made of it all. My current mindset is avoid defeat to Liverpool in the home game, win everything else. And it's easier said than done, but that <laughs> needs to be our minimum. How scary that that's the minimum. Like avoiding defeats Liverpool and winning everything else is your minimum. And then came the week of hell. City faced Atletico Madrid twice and Liverpool twice across the Champions League, Premier League and FA Cup. 
City squeaked through in Europe 1-0 across 180 minutes, and then they did what Adam wanted them to do and avoided defeat against Liverpool in the league. But it was the FA Cup that turned out to be too much. I think in that big scary run that we had of the four, the one that... You know, if you had to choose one to lose, and I'm not saying I wanted to lose a semi-final in the FA Cup, because I love the Cup, but looking at it, and looking at it in the context of what actually did happen, I suppose that's the one that we could kind of let give away if we want to go for the big two. City's attempt at the big two ended in the Champions League semi-finals. After winning 4-3 against Real Madrid at the Etihad, which some thought might not have been enough, they were 1-0 up heading into stoppage time at the Bernabeu. Madrid scored twice and then won it in extra time. Here's City fan and journalist Willem Wynn. They're good, but they're not as good as City. And over two legs, City should have won and they didn't because they had massive failings in key moments. And that's if you want to be European champions, you can't have those moments. And you know, you get one moment of Rodrigo scoring the first, and that's a massive warning that you can't mess about for the remainder of the game, and they did. City had to dust themselves down and get on with it. They bounced back with a 5-0 win over Newcastle, and that put them three points clear at the top after Liverpool could only draw with Spurs. That week, they also announced a deal in principle to sign Erling Haaland. People are saying that when we face teams that are camped out in their own box, he's not got the room to really maraud. But there's plenty of times when we flash that ball across the box and it just misses someone. He's the type of player that has a sense for that and Guardiola loves a, a player that's got a sense as he rubs his fingers together under his nose to say they've got a sense for goal. And Haaland is that player. We'll come back to Haaland shortly, but first, City needed four points from their final two games to be champions and they made hard work of it, falling behind 2-0 against West Ham before that game ended 2-2. I stayed off Twitter at half-time, I went and sat on the balcony and just had a, a good long think to myself. And I, I was actually thinking, I was like, I feel like crying. I'm not going to cry now, but if we lose this game, I think I'll probably cry at full-time. At 2-2, I was like, I'll take this now, a draw will do us. It just means we've got a win on the final day and that's it. And then to, to get the penalty and, and, and not score it, I wasn't really that disappointed. I was still quite okay with the draw at full time. City pulled the same trick on the final day. This time, though, 2-2 would not have been enough. With 70 minutes played, they were losing 2-0 to Aston Villa, but they won the title with three goals in five and a bit minutes. Here's former City defender Nader Manua and City fan KC on the live podcast last May. This City team scoring three goals in five minutes is not the most ridiculous thing that we've ever seen in the world. And that's why they were able to do it. Yeah, but the difference this time is that we don't normally do it from when we're behind. Yeah, but then in the same breath, Aston Villa are still Aston Villa, they're 15th in the table. Yeah, but trust doesn't come into it when there's narrative. Like, oh, a narrative. <laughs> narrative got the second goal. After the title win, it was an enjoyable summer. The new season, though, was here in no time, and all the talk was around new signing Erling Haaland. He arrived along with Stefan Ortega, Calvin Phillips, Sergio Gomez, and Manuel Akanji, and City got off to a flyer, winning 2 0 at West Ham. I'm a very pessimistic City fan, as, as you know, and long time listeners will know. So I, even I didn't have any fear when he was one on one with the keeper that it was going to be anything other than a goal, and it's been years like you say since we've been able to uh, feel that it was such a surreal feeling when he went put through I was just like yeah goal 2-0 job done Harland was running riot at City after two goals on the opening day a goal in a 3-0 draw at Newcastle was followed up by back-to-back -back Premier League hat-tricks as City came from 2-0 down to beat Crystal Palace before they walloped Nottingham Forest 6-0 here's Simon Bykowski from the Manchester Evening News he is that good he just makes everyone in the stadium giddy you can sort of smell the desperation from the opposition defenders trying to stop him and the crowd are just absolutely loving every single second he's involved in and 
you know, at the end against Forest after the game, he just like walked around the stadium kicking the ball in front of him. It was like, it, it, it's his world and we're living in it. And he scored another hat-trick three games later as City won the Manchester Derby 6-3. Phil Foden also got his first senior hat-trick that day as well. I'll never ever get tired of seeing that big red Stockport face kind of like burst in its cheeks when he's about to shoot. <laughs> uh, he had everything on uh, Sunday. He just... To score a hat-trick against United, now I, I had been under the assumption that he must have scored a hat-trick before, but what a day to do it. While all this was happening in the Premier League, City were well on their way to topping their Champions League group. That was after wins against Sevilla, Dortmund and Copenhagen. In the final group game, youngster Rico Lewis made quite the impression, scoring the equaliser in what would become a 3-1 win. This is the independence, Mark Critchley. Everybody went in there last night thinking it was just going to be a dead rubber, I think, and that was worth it for me. Even when the tram broke down, I still <laughs> I couldn't get home afterwards. I still thought, you know, it was worth coming along just to see his face after he scored the goal, because it was just like a look of kind of disbelief and just ecstasy. I just I absolutely loved his celebration. The highs could only last for so long, though. There was a disappointing defeat to Liverpool around the corner, but the more surprising was a 2-1 loss at home to Brentford in the final match before the World Cup break. City fan Adam Monk was disappointed with the whole performance. What I think was quite bizarre about it, and you don't usually see with City, is it did seem to be very collective. It was so unexpected for me. I did think we'd, I thought we'd cruise past them and I maybe underestimated Brentford. But any sour taste that that left was quickly washed away in the first week of the World Cup with the news that Guardiola had extended his contract. Here's the Athletics' Paul Bias explaining the story on the podcast. Since the start of this year, probably when questions about his future were thrown, Guardiola kind of tried to avoid the topic and the question itself. But he always said that the main thing was to really know that the players were still following him. It has happened in trainings, watching the daily attitude of the players, seeing the efforts that the club has done to bring the right players, from Holland to Akanji. Fulham was the final assurance that all of this had happened. And on top of that, City had a World Cup winner in the squad in Julian Alvarez when the season resumed. Here's City fan Rachel Hudson. It's mad because obviously all the attention has been around Haaland, but... Alvarez has just been just as sensational in his own way for me in, in the playing time that he's had. And he's just gone on and proved that at the World Cup as well. No, no, no City fans were surprised by his performances. Alvarez, unsurprisingly, wasn't back for the first match of the restart where City edged out Liverpool 3-2 in a thrilling League Cup tie at the Etihad. After a busy World Cup, it was good for Guardiola's side to resume Premier League duties with a win at Elland Road 2. 2022 has been a hell of a year for City fans. Another Premier League title was added to the collection, some exciting signings were made and the news that the manager would be sticking around for another two years was also very welcome. Roll on 2023. Hi, Colin Hendry, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So that was a look at the last 12 months for City. Uh, I'm now joined by KC. Oh, yeah. And Kieran Murray. Season's greetings. And uh, we are now going to look back at some of the alternative highlights of uh, the last 12 months. I thought, lads, we'd start uh, with some classics from last season because we did this at the end of last season. And so I don't want to spend too too long on things that happened in the in the first half of the year, um, just in case we we did we did them on the uh, on the end of last season. Um, but I, I want to go back immediately, all the way back to New Year's Day, Casey, with uh, Rodri's celebration at Arsenal. Yeah. 
the main thing I remember about that is wasn't wasn't there a random fan that chucked a bog roll at him? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's going berserk. I'm sure I'm sure there's like a random bog roll that comes out of nowhere. It's like where where like what Arsenal fans gone like gone to the ground with like Andrex with them. It's just <laughs> mental. Yeah. Just just in case they can see the last minute winner, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Kieran. It was. Uh, it wasn't. It was almost out of the Adebayo playbook, but not quite. It needed the the full length of the pitch run to get there. But it was. It was close, wasn't it? Well, that's it. It was at the Emirates, wasn't it? So it it didn't really matter what. Um, it didn't really matter what side of the ground he went to. There was going to be. Uh, there was going to be abuse and toilet roll flung at him from uh, from somewhere. Uh, yeah, no, it was brilliant. What like I think that set the tone for. Uh, the rest of the year then and and also um it makes me a bit nervous about playing Arsenal because it, it's all changed the dynamic of the of the rivalry sort of this year and we're we're chasing them now so um hopefully hopefully there'll be bog rolls of plenty raining down when we score some uh, some more <laughs> against them yeah. the, the, the the really enjoyable thing about it though was just how much Arsenal fans lost their head like it was just like complete like it, it, it completely irrational like reaction to it like they just completely lost the lost their minds i don't just mean the ones in the ground i mean like online or whatever mm. they just completely lost the run of themselves it was just uh comedy to watch there's nothing more enjoyable in football though is there than arsenal than an arsenal fan head loss <laughs> <laughs> that's why we need to win this league this year <laughs> support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast just also on on last season uh the, the game straight after arsenal was uh, the fa cup at swindon uh, and it gave us these two gems from uh, from cole palmer uh, speaking to itv uh, the first one is the one that everyone remembers most when he said this i know yeah delighted prem soon come but just got um take it game by game day by day and hopefully work my way up but my favourite part of that post-match interview was, uh, if you remember, if you remember, City had a massive COVID outbreak for for that game, and so nobody Ooh. was there. Uh, Guardiola was watching on the television at home. Rodolfo Burrell was uh, was doing uh, the management on the on the touchline, um, and uh, then there was this exchange about how well Palmer had played um, on on ITV afterwards. And what do you think he'll have made of your performance from a distance? Who? Pep. Hopefully enjoyed it. Just got to keep working hard on it and show what I can do day in day out. They they li- they literally Ew. just spoken about it being pep at home, Ew. and he was like, "Ooh, <laughs> Ew. I forgot about that." Ooh, Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah, classic post match interview. Yeah, does it does it make sense, Casey? If I say that Cole Palmer, I, I don't mean this in an offensive way, but it, like it, if I just say that he both looks and sounds like he's from Withenshaw. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I do know what you mean by that. He just, he's, what, what he seems like is like, you know, like your mate's younger brother. Yeah, you know that that wander, <laughs> that wanders into the kitchen like to look for a pepperami or whatever, and yeah. like wait, wait, two, two, two minutes before dinner's ready or whatever. You know, just an absolute <laughs> gormless Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, the other, the other one I want to mention from last season, Kieran, is um, I, I, I remember not covering this on the on the one for last season because we did it in the in the lead up to the final game. Uh, yeah. But Mo Salah thinking that he'd scored the title winning goal, only to find out that City had already taken the lead by that point. Uh, Mo Salah and the whole of Anfield thinking that they were on course to win the Premier League. 
that was it was so unbelievably delicious that whole day um but you know because being in the ground it was incredible it was absolutely astronomical how good it was but then when you were sort of on the train back and seeing all the kind of videos filtering through you know that it, that had happened that you'd missed obviously being in the ground uh and i've watched that so many times i've watched that just slightly less than the amount of times i've watched the gun doing goals like <laughs> um it's Klopp. Who does Klopp hug? Is it, it might be Milner, is it? Um, Klopp like reaches out and does a little handshake, and they hug, and you can see the you can see the buzz uh, kind of filtering around the ground. Um, and it's dead funny because whoever did that is an unbelievable like prankster troll <laughs> that have, no, <laughs> have the, the, started the, this little rumor because Villa weren't in it at all. The the the, th the, th the thing is, they'll be like you know they'll be claiming that they've invented you know getting things wrong at the ground when in actual fact it was Alan Ball that invented it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did it first as always, and it was against them as well. Actually, wasn't it? It yeah, was, yeah, 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 it was against them. Back in '96, <laughs> Christ, yeah. Um, I've I've split the next slot, KC, into into two players because two players have had uh, an unbelievable uh, year. I I mean, we'll start with uh, with Jack Grealish uh, because he's been here for the whole of the year. Um, we definitely mentioned this at the end of last season, but uh, Grealish versus Savage in the Atletico Madrid game is up there. Oh, it was amazing! Like he's just there. Yeah, he's. He, I I really really wish that he'd he'd played in that game just to just to like really wind them up even more. Like you know, in both legs, um, because the for whatever reason they just. Like the, it was like red rag to a bull, wasn't it? The way, yeah. the, the way that they were, it was just absolutely bizarre. Um, but of course, as well, he's like he's just a, he's just a great pantomime villain, isn't he? He's easily so. I mean, the the other one uh, that came out of this season, Kieran, was um, Miguel Almiron. Uh, like nobody saw an Almiron Grealish kind of feud ongoing, but here it <laughs> no. is. No, I, that was such a bizarre player to kind of. <laughs> You pick out from from your mind's eye as who like who was you know dirt shite. Um, who was it? He was talking about Marius. Was it playing like Almiron? Yeah. Um, and now he is absolutely <coughs> setting the league alight. Hasn't he got like he's got something like triple or quadruple the amount of goal goals and assists that Jack Grealish does, even though he costs a hundred million. And every time he ever does anything good, he gets a goal or assist for Newcastle. I just think to myself, like, he's got a fire in his belly now since Grealish said that. Um, but that's the that's the magic of Grealish. Like, I don't I don't care about that, you know. Um, I, th I think it, sometimes he's not too um, judicious in what he says. You know, he kind of, like, speaks with his heart and kind of worries about the consequences later. But it makes for good entertainment for us. Um, but yeah, so if that's what if that's what's fueling Almiron, um, yeah, fair play to him. Yeah. Sign him up. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, speaking of uh, talking with the heart. This is Grealish uh, on the on the bus at the in, in the title celebrations, uh, talking about the last day of the season. It's been brilliant to win my first title. I want to thank everyone, but the main person I want to the main person that I want to thank is Bernardo Silva for coming off in the 70th minute because he was. Miles off it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard. That is absolutely yeah. quality. Uh, I think it was like Adam Hurry or football cliches or whatever had tweeted the next day saying the delivery at the end of this. Do you know the, the little pregnant pause that he does? Yeah. Because he was 
miles off it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable comic timing and delivery. It's so good. <laughs> to, 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 uh, that 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 clip just there just has extra poignancy for me now because I I feel as rough as a bear's ass and I completely sympathise <laughs> yeah. with exactly how he's feeling. Yeah, and you are miles off for... it, Kieran Murray. You are miles off it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's clearly been up all night drinking and smoking and doing whatever. Like and just just no fucks given whatsoever. It's so so good. Yeah, uh, and in the video it's, itself, there's the guy interviewing them, and then there's Stones and Walker, and they are absolutely creasing there and kinks laughing at him. Um, that's how to win a title, isn't it? That's how to like. <laughs> that's how to enjoy yourself after. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got another clip from uh, Grealish because he's had a wonderful year. Uh, this is uh, from while on England duty uh, at the World Cup in Qatar. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. And Mason's gone to me, oh, look. And I've looked and there was a camel. But I thought the camel was like fake. And then the camel's gone like, and turned its head. And I was like, and Mace was creasing. Mace was like, because obviously he must have knew it was real. I didn't have a Scooby. I didn't know it was. And then the geezer just goes to me, oh, do you want to? sit on the camel and I was like, what then? I still can't get my head wrapped round. Like, did he think it was a fucking CGI camel or what? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he double taked a, a camel and thinking it wasn't real. <laughs> and Mason Mark clearly is there. Just somebody like, tweeted, didn't they, saying like, he, he, he speaks that story as if He's gone back to school after the summer holidays in year three, and the teacher said, write about your experiences abroad. <laughs> <laughs> that's just it, isn't it? Yeah, the guy's like, do you want to go on the camel? And I'm like, go on, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's. It, I just have this idea of Mason Mount just looking at him going, of course the camel is fucking real. What are you yeah. on? <laughs> He's so daft. Yeah, uh, we'll come back to. I, I want to do a positive. Uh, well, I mean, they've all been positive, but I want to do a really nice Grealish one in a, uh, about the World Cup in a minute. But first, uh, a couple of others. Um, Casey, he enjoyed his uh, he enjoyed his holiday um, by uh, finishing the World Cup, going off uh, to New York and just touring the seeing the sights from Home Alone too. I love that. Oh yeah, that is that is. I, I didn't I didn't actually know that he'd done that, but that 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 is decent to be fair. And uh, Kieran, my other favourite one is when Ruben Diaz did a photo shoot for Men's Health and uh, <laughs> Grealish's response on Instagram was just, fuck off, Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they obviously feel that way about Ruben and his absolute, like, sculpted six-pack. <laughs> like, uh, what I love about Grealish is that he sometimes just sort of speaks for us all. He's like an everyman character. So uh, when we see Ruben and his perfectly toned body, we would like to tell him to fuck off as well. <laughs> Grealish just goes straight out and does it like, he speaks for every dad bought out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the final one I've got written down for uh, for Grealish is, uh, it's a really nice one, Casey. It's, it's the whole video with Finley. Um, yeah, that is lovely. The celebration at the World Cup and all that sort of stuff. Because, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I cried when I saw that video. It, yeah, yeah, it was same. just incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. I like I, you know, I I I'm a soft ass as well, and I I I did too. It's just um, there's 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 not like very much that you can say without it without like coming across as a bit trite or whatever. But it, it just was lovely. I, I guess Kieran, what makes what makes Grealish why 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 we've taken to him in this sense is he just seems like he is he's both in the footballer bubble but incredibly down to earth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny actually because you've said a couple of times he's had a great year and 
you know, you could argue that on the pitch he hasn't had a particularly great year. It's just that uh, these alternative highlights. Um, he's, he's had a great time. But, and you sort of like, I know some people are on his back a little bit about his his goals and assists statistics. And I think he's on his own back about that a lot. Um, and you can tell that he's trying and he does, he does bring an awful lot to the squad, you know, as a player. But he is such a sound guy, such a, a, a young lad having fun. Um, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He gives us a glimpse into um, what footballer life is like. And you can just tell he's universally loved by, I don't know, kind of the media who, who find him really accessible. The fans like Finley who do that. Um, he's involved in so many advertisements and he does so much on his social media that's funny and enjoyable. And yeah, he's just, I mean, he, he costs an awful lot to be just our sort of entertainment mascot, but um, it, it doesn't really matter to me. It gives me a good laugh and I can see him on the pitch just like coming good and uh, improving all the time. You know, he's really, really embed embedded into um, sort of fan folklore, if you if you will, at the minute. So, um, yeah, I'm sure on the pitch it'll start to transfer too. Yeah, all going well. Let's uh, let's flip to the other player that's had a great year. And he's only been with City for a few months. Uh, but uh, I want to talk about Erling Haaland uh, more off the pitch than on it. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of on-the-pitch stuff. Um, we'll start with uh, the pre-season tour because, uh, I mean... The guy from the Greeters Guild, not only did he confuse Jack Grealish, because Grealish just didn't get it as he as he walked past, uh, but it bore out the phrase Norwegian meat shield, Casey. Well, I don't I don't really know what to say to that. I've already talked about Pepper <laughs> Army earlier on in this buddy. This <laughs> <laughs> recording. <laughs> what like who who came up with Norwegian meat shield? It was it was just the guy from the Greeters Guild. Um, that I, I I can't remember what he's called, but it's it's he's a oh, standard the guy comic. In the purple jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah jacket. Troy. Yeah, somebody yeah. Troy Hawks or something, isn't it? Troy Hawk. Haaland's face sort of spoke for us all, really, when he said that. Was it Nordic meat shield? It might have been. Um, and yeah, Haaland just sort of walked past, completely stumped, with a sort of wry smile on his face, but just like you know get me in here away from this guy what he said to nathan ake though um he said something like you've you've got the poise of an apex predator but the face of a lowly woodland creature or something <laughs> but ake stood there and listened and nodded to the whole thing really appreciate such a gorgeous <laughs> little moment it was nice I, I, you're right. It was Nordic meat shield and not Norwegian meat shield. I'm wrong on that one. Um, but yeah, and I, I mean, Casey, do you remember before he signed, um, the whole of of City Twitter went into meltdown because the Washington Post tweeted, "It's unclear the severity yeah, of yeah. Harlan's injury, where on the fibula the break occurred, or how long yeah, it may that, take to heal." That 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 headline writer definitely knew what they were doing, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, US Interior Secretary Deb Haaland broke a leg and the Washington Post sent City Twitter mental. <laughs> I think you should try and get Deb Haaland on the show, David. I might ask her, actually, see what she's... I mean, she might not be up too much if she's still got a broken fibula. She might still be <laughs> yeah. resting up. Yeah. She's just hobbling around her house at the minute, so any entertainment would be useful to her. Yeah. Uh, Kieran, uh, you suggested uh, a couple for, for Haaland as well, like uh, only having eight touches of the ball against Bournemouth and then uh, all the managers calling each other up to, to, to work out how to stop him. Yeah, he's brilliant. He, he he's he's um he's sort of sent football in a meltdown slightly, hasn't he? Like uh it's it's dead dead funny. That that little period, you know, just the three hat tricks kind of back to back. Um and th those games where you're just so unbelievably excited to see what he was gonna come up with and then against Bournemouth when we arrived in thinking, Oh, he's gonna absolutely trounce them. I think we still won four 0 or something, did we? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But yeah, no, the manager's phoning up on how to stop him. Very funny. Like, it's just, you know, it's, it's mad that he's at our club because, you know, when you've got people doing that because they're so frightened of him. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. If we're going to have a Nordic meat shield in the Premier League, I'm glad he's at us. Yeah. Did you see, KC, what uh, Aymeric Laporte wrote on one of his hat-trick balls? Yeah, about the contracts. Yeah, I've signed more <laughs> balls for your hat-tricks than I have contracts. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other Howland thing as well, you know, obviously when they were um, uh, when everyone else was away at the World Cup and he just decided to dress up as Moonchester. Oh, yeah, that's Sky Sports advert it was. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good advert about uh, Haaland kind of being lonely and wanting everybody to come back. <laughs> yeah. The Manchester hat on, or the face on, like, absolutely class. Do you know what bit I found was dead funny? Um, in that advert, he's, um, he hears laughter in the dressing room kind of thing, and he runs in, but it's the, t- the TV's on, and it's Michael Richards is giggling, but he's with Roy Keane. <laughs> so Haaland walks in and sees it's Roy Keane and, and Richards and kind of looks dead disappointed. I wonder, was that a bit of a, like, you know... And a nod to the Alfenga Haaland kind of stuff. A, a nod to the fact that his father had his leg disassembled by Roy yeah. King. <laughs> yeah, so no wonder he's disappointed to see him on the screen. Yeah, I'm going to run through a few others to uh, to finish quickly now. Just uh, a, a bit of a, a, a random mishmash of what's left. Um, KC, title celebrations, you said you're feeling rough as hell. Uh, I don't know if you know this, John Stones had to be the, uh, escorted off the stage at the, uh, the celebrations to be sick. Fair play to him, fair play to him. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be fair, one of my main memories from after the game is celebrating it in town and us all being leathered and whacking each other with inflatable bananas. So I can completely <laughs> sympathise with that. Completely get it. Um, do you remember the uh, the Dortmund game, Kieran? Guardiola got booked and then hugged the referee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. He's, he's, he's a contradiction in terms, that man, isn't he? He was absolutely <laughs> bending the referee's ear. I can't remember what issue he was unhappy with now. It was a bit of like, throwing or something ridiculous, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just at the ref, at the ref, at the ref, at the ref. Almost like willing him to book him. And then he did book him, but then he just threw the two arms around. <laughs> what is he about? He is, he's absolutely crackers, that following. <laughs> he is. But, I mean, you'd love a bear hug off him, though, wouldn't you, Casey? You'd love oh, a bear hug yeah, of everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. De- 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 Defo would, but it's just like... Sometimes, you know, when you see him at that mad crack, you just think, God, imagine being stuck with him in the corner of a party or something, and he's just like yeah. banging on about some random shite to you. Yeah, but he did produce one of the photos of the year when he walked out on stage on the title winning night with that cigar in his hand and the smoke all billowing behind him. <laughs> what a ride. Like. I, I think it's the illusion that, because uh, it's obviously the dry ice around him, but it, it's the yeah. illusion that he says, yes, I have smoked all of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, what a boy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Guardiola, do you do you remember what he had to say about uh, how well Gr- uh, Brighton pressed City in the uh, in the home game? Either of you? Uh, I don't. I don't recall that. No. Well, uh, here it is. But how you make a decision when you go to the toilet? Do you have a man? Do you have a space? Wherever you go, don't put in come. The wherever you go, come and come. Distribution is more difficult. The only player can go to the toilet is Edison. The only player that can get to the toilet is Edison. <laughs> Yeah, to, to, to be fair, that used to be like a saying when we, like, if you had to man mark someone in football, I don't know whether your managers ever said that, they'd be like, you literally follow that fella all over the pitch. If he's going for a shite, I want you reading the paper with him. <laughs> <laughs> Have you never, did your manager never tell you that? No, I've never heard that. <laughs> Obviously, Pep's just given the, the Catalonian version. <laughs> Oh, 
dear. Right, uh, a couple of others to finish. Um, uh, Kevin De Bruyne's black eye. Uh, why? Where did that come about? Did he just get hit with the ball in training or something? We never ever really heard where it came from, but we just had goth Kevin De Bruyne for a bit. I don't know. Maybe he's promoting Wednesday Adams or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he just looked like. Yeah, he looked like he was in uh, The Cure or something for a bit. Yeah, I thought it suited him. Julian Alvarez turning up at Abbey Hay to watch his brothers play and then going off to win the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Imagine, yeah. like, I'm, I'm, you know, going, you know, going, you know, cheedle away, you know, Abbey Hay at home and then going off and, like, you know, scoring, scoring in the World Cup. What did he get? Four, four or five goals in the World Cup. He got enough, Cup. didn't he? Yeah, he got enough. Yeah. Yeah, what a hero. Yeah. Uh, Kieran uh, Aguero saying that football sent Guardiola bald. <laughs> Aguero's having the time of his life. Uh, he's he's going to end up about six stone heavier in, in the next year just because he's doing whatever he wants. Um, it felt like he played in the World Cup, you know, because of the involvement that he had at the end and lifting the trophy and everything. And just the videos of him smoking the cigar and that, but... He's also just saying what he wants and doing what he wants. So that that quip about Guardiola is absolutely hilarious. And I think we all think that, don't we? That it's, his obsession with football has, has caused him so much stress, his hair's falling out. So it's glad that somebody who's worked with him is willing to say that thing that we all know to be the truth. Uh, right, so the final one I've got written down. Uh, please feel free to throw in any others afterwards. Uh, but, um, Kieran, this came from you. Match of the day, tweeting the uh, Dakeb drawing um, of, of... It was when Sterling knocked the ball out of play against Everton, wasn't it? Um, yeah, in the and he was, Yeah, and he was trying to prove that it, that it stayed in. And Match of the day just tweeted it during uh, Japan versus Spain. Like, who knew it had gone so mainstream? So... Stuff like that absolutely blows my mind because you think it's from a little quiet corner of like us and our mates and city Twitter, as it were. Um, and it's just a meme between us that kind of like a few people know about. But uh, the fact that match of the day, um, blue tech, well, not the blue techs mean anything anymore, but um, during the World Cup or tweeting that, it's absolutely hilarious. That killed me. Um, yeah, so good. <laughs> but, uh, overlap equals ball and play with the tip X and everything on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, good. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. So that was Kieran and KC talking us through their alternative moments of the year. Uh, sadly, we recorded that yesterday morning, right like ahead of the Leeds game. So we couldn't include Guardiola's comedy run after booting the water bottle uh, towards the Leeds bench, uh, nor could we include <laughs> Kyle Walker versus the camera on the bench at Ellen Road. Uh, two very, very worthy uh, inclusions they would have been. Uh, a third possible inclusion, though, uh, there was a bit of discussion about the condition that Phillips came back to the squad in after the World Cup. And as a result, then he wasn't named in the squad for the Liverpool game. It was then an unused sub at Ellen Road, uh, Guardiola was asked about it after the game and he said this. He has a perfect body already. <laughs> so sexy. There we have it. So, uh, a perfect body on Calvin Phillips. I, I mean, the question it begs the question and I have to ask you both this. Um, so, prepare your answers now. Uh, who, in your opinion, has the sexiest body at City? Um, it's hard to look past Mr... Uh, men's fitness portable Ruben Diaz really isn't it? I was going to say it has oh, to, surely if you get in if you get in the cover of uh, of men's health then you know you're doing something right aren't you? But I would also give a shout out to when, when they showed like City doing like their um, what's the word like their sort of their recovery days after like a European away and they're all like dotting about in a swimming pool. 
as a member of the pale and pasty community, I do like how <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne hangs in there with the Adonises where he's there with his with his moon burn in the pool. That's <laughs> fair play to him for that. Yeah. Richard, any any nominees yourself? I mean, they're all chiselled and it's really annoying from everybody else's perspective with Dad Bod Central here, but you know. Yeah, um, I mean, if you, I'm just going to throw one, throw an entry in for Mr. Carves himself, Jack Grealish. If you're into that kind of thing, is a <laughs> pretty standout. Uh, but it's it's all honourable mention compared to Diaz, I think. Yeah, you don't uh, you don't get a custom David Mooney calendar for the, for for nothing. So let's uh, yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's quickly forget all that and move ahead to the uh, Everton game on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, Richard Everton really not in a good place at the moment. So what sort of game are you expecting? Well, we'll sidestep the easy joke about Liverpool not being a great place and um, <laughs> <laughs> say, I mean, you've you've got to hope that. City won't make too hard a work of this one. Um, I think the performances, having been very good against Liverpool and uh, and Leeds, um, Everton are not a good team. They've not been a good team for a long time now. Um, they were very obviously, uh, I think, stepping into a rele- another relegation battle at the start of the season. Um, they're just from what I've seen of them, and clearly the results bear this out. They're poor, and it goes like so far beyond just playing staff and just management, like everything seems wrong there and uh, really quite toxic a lot of the time. Um, And that's, I think City are generally very good at at putting poor teams to the sword. It's, you know, it's why it's a really obvious thing to say. Um, But with Haaland having come back in in goal-scoring form already, and having had the chances to score more goals, there's nothing, and I, I say this with caution because this is the kind of thing that can always come back and haunt you, there's nothing um, to worry you that he's not going to get chances against Everton as well. There's nothing that says uh, he couldn't score a goal or two against them. Um, I think De Bruyne looks in absolutely imperious form. The um, the balls that he's finding into the box, the way that he's moving around the pitch, um, it just looks as, as good as ever to me um, on his return. So I, I expect a game that City heavily, heavily dominate and maybe Everton, I guess the best option is to try and hang in and, and catch something on the break, um, as as is the case with so many teams. I don't exactly see them doing a Brentford and really coming and trying to take the game to City from the off. Um, and so I I am expecting a, a City win and will be immensely surprised um, if they don't if they don't pull that off. Yeah, it's one of those games, isn't it, Dom, where, um, I mean, as Richard says, you know, nine times out of ten, City win it. So you'd expect that to be one of the one of the cases here. And yeah, sure, City could play well and, and win. They could play well and lose. It's 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 one of those where, um, like, the performance is, is almost a, a side issue. You expect City to have a lot of the ball. It's now about just simply taking your chances, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd say the only thing that would be a danger to them is the January schedule, I mean, Guardiola talked about that this week, that with the, you know, couple of games against Chelsea, Manchester Derby, couple of games against Spurs coming up in quick succession and Arsenal in mid-February. It's like they're about to enter a defining run and on paper compared to all of that, this looks like a bit of a gimme, but I don't, I mean, can you imagine being complacent when that guy's your manager? Just pecking your head <laughs> off. You know, it's probably not going to happen. And you know, again, they put together these winning runs when they the, the way City tends to win titles is by going again and again and again. And I think also 
there's probably scope for getting people a few more minutes who haven't played much in the last two games. Um, yeah, to echo what Richard said, it, on paper it looks like a job that should be fairly straightforward and feel an awfully long way from the Tim Cahill era. Yeah, yeah. Um, that said, however, Dom, the City have a little bit of an issue in wide areas because as mu- as good as they were against Leeds, as good as they were against Liverpool, when it's Mares and Grealish, it does feel a little bit. It, it can feel a little bit difficult to get through at times. And if Everton don't open the game up, Leeds, as you know, there was space to attack at times against Leeds because they were coming forward and, and, and trying to press City in a way. If Everton don't try and do that and they just sit deep, it could get a very frustrating game. And I'm wondering if there's if there's if there's no Foden in the team, there's almost no natural width there. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why Foden does play in this game. I mean, I, I mean, Guardiola has his he's sort of big on everyone getting into match rhythm. Rhythm is always the word he uses. Um, and yeah, you're right because of the way that the, the, the particular challenge that Leeds present uh, with the way they. A very intensive pressing of Jesse Marsh. It was important at Elland Road that City had Mahrez and Grealish just to take this thing out, just to keep the ball, play the extra passes, you know, the, the thousand million passes that the manager sometimes talks about. Um, that's probably not the case against Everton. I think that's one of the reasons Fulham comes back in. But yeah, it's. Um, I understand why fans sometimes don't like the Mahrez Grealish combination because it. It can get sluggish in a way that you probably associate with some of City's worst performances, but I think it's um, it's also something that Guardiola deploys in situations that he think, thinks merit it. Um, I'm not sure Everton yeah. ticks that box. I mean, obviously with with Julian Alvarez still been away, uh, there's not an awful lot of wide options out there anyway, but I'd be fairly astonished if fitness permitting Phil Foden doesn't start but yeah as I'm sure you guys will have seen um, Sam Lee wrote a really good thing today about the Maris Grealish uh, carry on for the Athletics so check that out if you're a subscriber I reckon yeah um, just a bit of fullback chat quickly Richard because uh, we, we've been singing Lewis's praises uh, however Walker was rested and is now available Cancelo came on um, do you see maybe Walker coming in for a bit more rhythm as Dom says I think so. I think it's still for all uh, Lewis's qualities and, and for as brilliant as he's been in the games he's played. I think Walker is, um, when fit, for very, very good reason, experience, quality. Um, he's still going to be the uh, the number one um, and, and first choice. And, and to get into that rhythm of the um, the upcoming schedule, it probably makes sense to, uh, to play him rather than him going into the Chelsea games cold. Um, it's, I mean, obviously, there's a good chance that in the cup game Lewis would play that, I suppose. But yeah, I think um, I think Walker starts, and I think he um, I think he should do. How about the middle though, Richard Bernardo, Gundogan, De Bruyne? Um, who fits in where? Because I, I I suspect you can't have all three of them. Um, yeah, it's not a Champions League final, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, a really boring answer. With the schedule, it's probably you say it doesn't matter, ro- aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> not that it doesn't matter, but it's probably just going to be rotated. I think De Bruyne is always going to be, um, if any of those three, that if you're just picking your straight up best team, he's the one that's always going to be the first name on the team sheet, which is no slight on the other two, it's just that he's Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and then I guess it comes to tactically what they offer, like if it's you know Bernardo doing his thing of getting ridiculously deep, that if you're expecting to be under pressure, that can be really, really helpful and have the um, the playmaking starting from really, really far back. Um, 
you know, I don't know. I sometimes feel um, I'm not tactically astute enough to <laughs> to answer these questions because that's rubbish for a podcast, isn't it? So uh, just just put them all in and see what happens. I think yeah, we'll, right, rota- yeah. <laughs> ro- rotation is the answer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Gundogan's playing well, but missing chances when he gets up front. So um, yeah, I've not answered your question ever, David. Can no, you tell I'm, I'm it's, fumbling? It, it's all right. I've just all, all that all that my head was coming to was uh, was Pep. Why did you play three defenders in the centre and midfield? Just wanted to see what happened. <laughs> Put them all in, see what happened. Um, Dom, you mentioned Rodri before. Um, I've not really got a lot to say about Rodri, other than uh, I mean, the only phrase I've got is he's fucking brilliant, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, for a guy who's always performs at a very consistently high level, I just think he's been. So good in these past two games. I did notice it was very apparent during the war against Liverpool what a good suntan he had. Like, I think he sort of mourned Spain's exit from the World Cup by sort of lying on a lounger, like, distraught for the week. Because, um, yeah, he's he, he come back a very good colour. And, he, t- um, he tans really well, doesn't he? That's the thing. Yeah. Again, not the guy Kevin De Bruyne wants to be standing next to him in those, um, <laughs> those recovery day shots at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, and there was... The thing about Rodri, which you know, I think took a while to reveal itself, and you think about this guy, you know, that we all know the story, the very humble guy who lived in university halls when he was studying, he's got his business degree, etc. Um, he got a little bit of needle and edge about him, and that was there against Liverpool, with you know, he caused that sort of ruckus towards the end when Fabinho took him down at the ankles. And even it was nowhere near the um the levels of shithousery against Arsenal. But he did give it a good old knee slide in front of the Leeds fans last night as well when he scored. So, yeah, he's um, everything just looks to be in a really good place for him. I mean, this is probably massively simplistic, but I wonder if the fact he played centre-back at the World Cup all the way through for Spain, he just seems to be looking like... Then, like we talked about the intensity of these games, it looks like he's absolutely relished being back in the thick of it in central midfield. And I don't think there's anyone better in the world in his position than him at, the, at this moment in time he's he's a formidable presence just in, in all aspects of the game yeah all this talk of uh, pasty skin by the way has just reminded me that I, I watched the game against Leeds with my parents uh, I went, went round to their house and there was one point where John Stones was jogging back and mum went he looks really pale doesn't he <laughs> it's like is he, is he ill <laughs> isn't the thing you notice about John Stones at the moment that his hair is just very good it's it's career best hair he's had for about six minutes. <laughs> Spot on. It's very it, it floats it, it bounces when he's when he's uh, jogging and it kind of floats when he's you know when he jumps to head the ball. It's like it's uh, honestly yeah great hair great hair. Um, let's let's steer this uh, lunacy back towards the uh, the right side of the fence, Richard. Um, Arsenal go to Brighton in the late kickoff. Are we doing the it's ti- uh, time to put pressure thing on them yet, or are we saving that for later in the season? Well, I think this is, um, for the first time in a few seasons, I think it's a really relevant question. I think it it ceased to matter between City and Liverpool because both were so accustomed to that sort of chop and change between each other. And you just got to a position where um, you knew that the other one was going to win. And again, the exception was that they didn't. Um, And Arsenal are very much untested in, in that regard. So I think every time that they play after City is a chance to put a little bit of pressure on. I think their record, is it 13 wins in 15 that they're on in the league? Um, I mean, that is absolutely brilliant. And so always has to lead you to the conclusion that they're going to win more games than they're not. Um, but it is, yeah, it is, 
I think this is a chance for City to affect them in a way that they can't affect City. I think it, where City lose games, if they play after Arsenal, will be through City's own doing and won't be um, won't be due to pressure because they're just so experienced uh, at that now, right through the season um, at, at any stage, you know, including right up until the very last game. Um, I. I it's uncharted territory for Arsenal in recent years, and for basically all of all of this squad um, as Arsenal players, and and certainly for Mikel Arteta as a um, a manager in his own right. So yeah, I think I think it is fair to say that um, first and foremost, it's about City doing their job, and then see how Arsenal respond to it. I don't think it's ever too early for that, um, and it's never too early to want to be reeling them in because five points is. Um, it's far from insurmountable, but it's it's a healthy lead for Arsenal to have. So, yeah, um, yeah any any chance to cut it down and, you know, statement wins and let them know that we're not going anywhere. Uh, I do. I think that the opportunities for that to pressure them more than City can be pressured in the in the same way. Yeah. Dom, just finally then for this week, is it is it a City-Arsenal title race now? Um, uh, or is there a chance of anybody else coming back into it? I mean, Newcastle are there or thereabouts, but they have played a game more. Liverpool's still quite some way off. Newcastle are an interesting case because I was looking through a list of like the minutes everyone that played at the World Cup. I think City were the only Premier League team with in excess of 4,000 minutes for their players at the World Cup. Arsenal had a little under 2,000. Newcastle players played 400 minutes at the World Cup. They're very well rested. They don't have midweek football. So they... A lot of people have like talked about Arsenal doing a Leicester, which is I think is a hilarious misreading of like just what a big upset that Leicester thing was. Um, but they again, when you play once a week and get into rhythm, if anyone's going to have that sort of data, it's probably more likely to be Newcastle. I, I think the more pertinent comparison for this Arsenal team is they remind me a little bit of Brendan Rodgers' Liverpool from 2013-14, where it was a very good team that had come together, sort of young, ambitious, and they just kind of kept winning and winning. I, I was massively impressed by Arsenal against West Ham because they were on top, didn't deserve to go behind, and still responded as, as they did. I, I think they, you know, they, they do look like a very good side. I think they maybe lack a little bit in squad depth. I, I think on this podcast you've talked about City not having huge numbers, and a lot of that is by design with Guardiola. Um, and I think Arteta likes to work with, you know, having worked um, as part of Pep staff, I think he also subscribes to working with a smaller group and he's done the old all blacks, no dickheads policy, hasn't he? I think he's got rid of a lot of guys at Arsenal that were a problem. Amazingly, Granite Xhaka wasn't considered with <laughs> and he's doing great. Well, I think, yeah, as Richie says, five points is a handy lead and look at the rest of the table. I do think it's, it's between those two. Uh, I wouldn't count Newcastle out entirely because a lot of things do look quite nice for them. But um, yeah, I think it's out of those two. And I think from City's point of view, I think they'll, that game in February, I think they'll probably, even if it can just be one or two points, just chip away at that five points. If they get to Emirates Stadium, sort of two or three points behind with a chance to leap for a goal level with Arsenal still to come to the Etihad Stadium, then yeah. I mean, I think City have, with the favourites, with all the bookies still for several reasons, but I have been really impressed by Arsenal. 
Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll see how that unfolds later in the season as well. Uh, we won on the charity bet this week. It was Joe Butterfield's correct 3-1 prediction for the game at Leeds, and it takes the total up to £405 for this season so far. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help tackle food poverty. Uh, they'll be outside the Etihad again ahead of the Everton game too, so go and see them with a donation if you can. They'll be under the bridge by Asda between 12.30 and 2.30. 30 p.m. ahead of kickoff. Let's get some predictions on the board for Everton. Uh, Dom, what are you having? I'm going for 3-0. 3-0 City is 11-2 and £55 if you're right. Richard? Uh, a slightly more confident 4-0 to City. 4-0 is 8-1 and £80 if you're right. Uh, I've gone in the middle of you, uh, 3-1, and uh, that's 11-1 and £110 if I'm right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. And that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. And that's it from us for 2022 as well. Thank you to my guests, Richard Burns. Thank you very much, David, and Happy New Year. And to Dom Farrell. Cheers, David. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening this last 12 months and have a great new year. We'll be back next week to preview the doubleheader with Chelsea. So see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. You're seven, swanning in. All right, lads, City fan here. Don't mind me, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if, you know, if the 4-3 was heartbreak, then this was just elation. It was, I was just watching it in disbelief. Like, every goal that went in, I was like, is this, is this real? Is this happening? And I think also, like, with the context of what it would go on to mean later in the season with goal difference and everything... Like, it was just such a perfect game. In terms of, of Manchester derbies, um, well, this this must be one of the earliest ones you can remember City winning then in that case. Yeah, I think it might be the earliest I remember us winning. Um, what, what a start that is. Yeah. <laughs> I remember us losing a fair few before that. But yeah, no, it was just like out of nowhere and just suddenly suddenly that. Yeah, it's literally that word. I just like remember... Uh, the last goal especially Silver's Silver's assist which is just one of the best balls I've ever seen and that's when I was like it really cemented in my mind I was like god he's he's something and then it was when Dzeko was running away and he had to turn back to Kolarov because he didn't remember how many goals we'd scored Yeah, and like he was obviously <laughs> holding up on his fingers and I was like well that's when you know something's going well when you've lost track of how many you've scored against United you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast And join us again next time for another episode.